Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. How we as a culture and as a people of God are, are supposed to treat one another. And um, I named it This Is Us because how many people have seen the, the TV show This Is Us? Um, it's actually pretty good. I know some people it's kind of boring, but it's actually it's about family interactions, right? And their family struggles, and they're, they're, they're struggling with family interactions, marital interactions, uh, racial interactions. Um, I don't see myself as worth anything interactions. All the kind of normal things that we see in our culture today are all the things that they're dealing with um, success over family type issues, uh, children issues, sibling rivalry issues, all the normal things that we see in our culture. Now, one of the cool things is, is they'll often say it, not necessarily every episode, but whenever they're dealing with something or a struggle or a family issue or a alcoholism or addictions or whatever, that they'll say, hey, we don't abandon each other, even though we're at each other's throats, we have to stay in this together. And they'll say something like, you know, this isn't who we are, we don't abandon one another, or this is who we are, we stick through this through thick and thin, or, you know, this is the type of marriage we have, ones where we're, we, we work it out. You know, this, this is who they are, so I guess that's why they called it This Is Us. And I named the series This Is Us because at the end of the day, uh, no matter what we're struggling with or what we're going through or what difficulties we have, um, this is who we are. We're, we're still going to be Christ followers, whether we're going through a struggle, whether we've, we, we've had the best year of our lives, uh, but we still have to treat one another uh, with basic love and respect, right? I mean, it makes sense. We still have to uh, interact with other people, and we still have to treat other people in a way that's uh, God-honoring. Now, here's the, the thing. Most people um, treat one another okay on a day-to-day -day basis, right? It's only when we disagree that we start treating other people differently, right? If we disagree about, um, you know, last week, what's the proper way to protest? Um, that's when, you know, people who were loving one another started hating one another. People who were loving the Steelers started hating on the Steelers. People who were loving football started hating on football. Uh, when you disagree about racial issues, that's when people who normally sit side by side in the office and you know talk casually to one another, but when a hot button racial issue starts flooding around the nation again, that's when they start you know mistreating one another. They don't want to talk to one another. They have nothing to say to each other. Um, and the same is true in the church. When the church is all in agreement on something. Uh, we're good. We're like, oh, hallelujah, praise God, come to the altar. You know, the Father's arms are open wide. But when we disagree, it's like, nope, I don't want anything to do with you. And I was sharing with the band. I just saw this online. There's, a, there's lots of, you know, if you go on Facebook, lots of prayer groups and that you don't have to be in the same group. You can go enter in. And I saw one. And there's nothing against these people. But, you know, it, I saw one and it said, you know, we're an open, biblical, Bible-based Christian group. Everyone is welcome but only if you're King James only. That's the only way you're welcome. If you're not, we don't want anything to do with you. And everything's hunky-dory as long as we agree, but when we disagree, that's when, you know, the claws come out. Now, 
That's one of the reasons why um, the Ten Commandments, when God revealed the Ten Commandments, uh, everyone thinks that the Ten Commandments are all about, you know, this egotistical God who says, here's how you're to worship me and here's how I want to be, you know, worshipped and adored. That's only like the first couple of them. The rest of them are about how we interact with each other, how we kind of deal with one another. So really quick, I know you guys are already familiar with the Ten Commandments, but really quick, uh, First Commandment, all about God. No other gods before me, because I'm literally, God is saying, I'm the only literal God there is. I am the top G, capital G, God there is. Uh, second Commandment, no graven images, and it's not like, you know, he's saying you can't have, you know, statues in your house or whatever, but if you try to make with your hands something that replicates God, uh, you're never going to be able to do it because you can't make God. God wasn't created. Uh, and he says the third one, no misusing God's name, which most people think is you can't say, you know, the GD phrase. That's not only it. If I take something that God has said, thou shalt not, and I say, well, God now says it's okay, I'm misusing his name. Like if I take Kevin's name and assign it to a Hawaiian cruise, that he's paying for for me to go on that he never approved, I'm doing the same thing. I'm misusing Kevin's name. Technically, I'm, I'm breaking the law. And then uh, the one, remember the Sabbath, which is also about God, but it's also about us resting in him. But the rest of them are all about how we deal with one another. Honoring your parents, assigning value to your parents, um, no murdering other people, no adultery, no stealing. And then no false testimony, no lying, and no coveting, which is specifically about, I'm not supposed to look at the stuff that you guys have and say, man, I wish I had that, because that's going to make me now look at you in a different way than I did before. I'm not going to look at you as like, hey, you're my brother in Christ. I'm going to look at you as you're my competitor, right? So all of God's, you know, commands are about the first couple worshiping him, but the rest are about how we live with one another. And if you look through the law, the Old Testament law, the majority of it, there are ones that are ceremonial about here's how you enter into the presence of God, here's how you worship God. But the majority of them are about how we live together and how we interact together. It's not an egotistical God saying, I want you all to worship me. It's a loving father saying, hey, I've got all these children. I want to create an environment where all of them can interact with one another and live together and do community with one another. So that's what God revealed. And he does the same thing, just like he did when he was bringing the nation of Israel together for the first time. So he gave them the Ten Commandments and the law. When he's, out, he's stepping outside of one nation into all of these nations and bringing them together in congregations and cities all around the world, he does the same thing, except instead of the Ten Commandments, he says, here's over and over how you're supposed to treat one another. Same thing. God's saying, I'm going to have all you guys living in community together, doing fellowship with each other, coming from different backgrounds and cultures and places. Here's how you're supposed to treat one another. Here's how you're supposed to minister to one another. And if you don't have a list um, of all these verses, there's, uh, I printed out a thing and it's on the back table. Uh, but he says, here's how you're supposed to treat one another. Here's how you're supposed to serve one another or minister to one another. And what we're going to talk about today um, is how not to treat one another. Because just as important as how we are to interact, you know, because if you've ever been a parent, just as important as telling your kids, clean up your room and do this, telling your kids, don't do this. You know, don't have a party while I'm gone. You know, don't cut off all your sister's hair. Don't back the car into the garage door. Some of this is obvious, but 
there are the kids that say, well, you never said I couldn't, right? So that's why God is saying, here's the, not, the things not to do. So if you have a Bible, uh, open it up to the book of Romans chapter 14. And in Romans chapter 14, now we're going to go through um, a lot of these verses. There's only six that I, that I listed out of the things not to do. Uh, but I wanted to walk through this one because it kind of sets the pace for all the other ones. And if you, if you, as we go through them, think about it, a lot of them kind of point right back to the original Ten Commandments of things that we're supposed to do or not supposed to do when living in fellowship and community with one another. But in Romans chapter 14, verse 5, this is what it says. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Now, the thing he's talking about is there was, in that time, you know, Jews and Greeks and all these people living together, they all had different um, sacred holidays. They all had different rituals that they did in worship of their God. And what he was saying was, hey, uh, the people who, who still said this, you know, there's these, all these Jewish holidays, these Jewish feasts, which we talked about earlier this year, I think it was last year, all these Jewish feasts that we talked about, um, that people thought, I have to do this to get right with God. He's saying you don't have to do it, but don't criticize someone for doing it. Now, for us, we could literally replace that for uh, when he says one man considers one day more sacred than another. One man considers one football team more sacred than another. I mean, this is Pittsburgh after all, right? So there are people that do that. One person considers one political party more sacred than another. There are the people that think if you're of this political party, that's the party, you know, that's God's ordained party. Uh, he says, or one person consider one, and I hate to keep going back to this, one way of protesting is more sacred than another way of protesting. And there are, that's what the whole argument last week was about. But he says that each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats, eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so for the Lord and gives thanks to God. And, and what he was saying, there were people saying that, you know, you can't eat this kind of meat, you can't eat that kind of meat. And the person who said, you know, I accept Jesus Christ is my Savior. I'm going to commit my life to Christ. But I'm not going to eat these types of foods. He's saying, well, first you're a Christian. And whether you're eating, you know, a big honking slab of beef, you're giving thanks to God for his provision and doing it as a Christ follower, or whether you're eating a mound of grain and kibble or whatever, I don't know, haven't gone there yet, whatever vegans and vegetarians eat, or quino, quino, cano, King rice, okay, whether you're eating a big pound of rice, you're, you know, if you're a Christ follower, you're giving thanks to God first. So before you separate into all these areas of I'm a vegetarian, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, you know, I'm a, I'm a Steelers fan, I'm a Giants fan, you know, I think this is the only way, I'm a patriot or whatever, you're a Christ follower first. And if you're a Christ follower first, then you're doing these things to the Lord. So if, 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 if Ben says, you know what, I'm, I'm hardcore, you know, meat loving, whatever, and I say, well, I'm a vegan, and we're both giving thanks to God for, I can't judge him, right, because he's the same God that made him made me. As long as he's made up in his mind, I'm doing this as a Christ follower. I'm not saying that God says I have to do this, but I'm going to do this as a Christ follower. And I make in my mind, I'm going to do this as a Christ follower. Then we can't judge one another because we're both doing 
what we think is right for us as a Christ follower. That doesn't mean I can infringe it on all of you. That doesn't mean if you decide to go vegan, you can infringe it on me. Or if you're a Republican, you can push that on other people. Or if you're a Democrat, you can push that on other people. Especially if you're all saying we're Christ followers first because he says none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And he's basically saying this, hey, our relationship is Christ first. If I call myself a, and I'm registered independent, but if I call myself, I'm a diehard, committed Republican, right? And I'm going to go do the rallies and all that stuff. Hopefully I'm doing it as a Christ follower because when, I'm die, when I die, that doesn't matter. There's not a Republican heaven and a Republican hell or a Democrat heaven or a Democrat hell. There's just heaven and hell. So when I die, none of that matters. If I claim to be, you know, a, a, a vegan or a meat eater or whatever, when I die, I'm not going to carry that label to my grave. However, when I die, I'm, God is still going to be Lord of my life in the afterlife in heaven, so I'm going to spend eternity with him. And I won't do it as a Republican or as a Democrat or as an American patriot or as a Roman person, as an Italian, as a German, as an Asian, or as a Jew. I'll do it as a Christ follower and a beloved son of God. Does that, that make sense? None of that stuff is going to matter uh, once we're dead. And he says in verse 9, For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. And this is what he says, verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So I, because we're all Christ followers, and if you're doing what you think is right as a Christ follower, whatever path that takes you, and I'm doing what I think is right, how can we judge one another? How can I say you're wrong because you're a Republican and I'm right because I'm a Democrat? Because above all that, we're both Christ followers. And he says, so each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, because we will give an account and because whether we're alive or dead, Christ is still Lord of our lives. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. You know what the stumbling block is? You judging your brother. When we judge one another, when we look down on each other. And then he says this, verse 14, as one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. And he goes on to talk about their, the division they were having because of someone was eating this and said, hey, you're eating unclean food. You can't be a Christ follower. But the person was saying, well, I, I love Jesus. But I believe it's okay to eat this because Jesus said, if you give thanks for all food, everything is acceptable to eat. But the other person was saying, well, uh, you know, I love Jesus too, but I'm from the Old Testament school where they said, you can't eat these kind of foods. Well, that's okay too, as long as you're doing it for the Lord and you're not judging one another. Now, here's the thing. Um, the word judge, the word that they use, has two definitions. One is to form an opinion, to reason out, to draw a conclusion. The other one is to jump to a negative conclusion and to look down on someone. 
It's okay to judge someone, to look at what's going on and to form an opinion, to reason it out and say, I think this is what's going on. It's not okay to jump to a negative conclusion and look down on someone, which is what Paul was saying. Because he said, why are you looking down on your brother? And he was, again, emphasizing, hey, if we're brothers, that means we, we have the same heavenly father. So I have no right to say, you suck because you're doing this or think this way. And I'm right because I'm doing this or think this way. If you're doing the right thing, it lines up with Scripture, or if Scripture doesn't prevent it, and you're just going ahead and, you know, doing this thing and, or eating this food or, or voting this way, and you think that's the best thing to do, and you're doing it as a God-honoring Christ follower, and I'm doing the same thing, even though we're doing separate things, that doesn't mean I'm right and you're wrong, or you suck and I don't. It just means we have a difference of opinion, and we're doing the thing that we think is right, which is why whenever elections come up, um, I never tell anyone here's who to vote for. I always tell everyone, pray. Pray that God would reveal to you who you should vote for, and um, you know, hopefully God reveals the same thing to everyone. But uh, I want to look at this because we are supposed to make judgments. And I, I run into people all the time when, you, when a Christian says anything like, hey, you shouldn't do that or that's wrong or whatever, anytime the first thing people say is what? Don't judge me. You're not supposed to judge, which is partially true because the Bible says don't judge. But it also says that we should make a right judgment because what Jesus said uh, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, he says, do not judge. This is the amplified version. Do not judge and criticize and condemn others so that you not be, may not be judged and criticized and condemned yourself. So he says you're not supposed to judge and criticize and look down on people because just as you judge and criticize and condemn others, you'll be judged and criticized and condemned, and in accordance with the measure you use to deal out to others, that's what we dealt out to you. And what he's saying is God's going to look and say, Floyd, if you're judging, you know, um, and I just forgot, everyone's in this side's name. Wow. <laughs> if you're judging Gary, sorry, I just went and I tried to, and I just drew a blank, 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 blank. If you're judging Gary based on what he's wearing, you say, ah, oh, Gary, you know, always wears whatever, and, and, you know, he doesn't dress right. Or you're judging Gary because, well, Gary only makes so much money. Or you're judging Gary because, oh, Gary always eats such a kind of food. Then God says, if it's good enough for you, it's good enough for me, and that's what he's going to use to judge me. So that's why he says, don't make that. However, Jesus also said, as John recorded in his gospel, that we are supposed to make judgment. He says, be honest in your judgment and do not decide at a glance superficially and by appearances, but judge fairly and righteously. So we are supposed to make a judgment. Is this the right job for me? You know, is this a person I want to go into business with? Is this a person I want to work for? Is this a person I want to marry? Is this a person I want to be the, you know, husband, wife, father, mother, whatever of my kids? We are supposed to make a right judgment, but not superficially. So what does that mean? That means you got to spend some time to get to know people and the situation before you judge it. And, and I keep going back to this, but that whole, you know, thing uh, uh, where people were criticizing people for kneeling and whatever. Um, and I was sharing with, I think, Ben or Corey or someone at the gym, that I was happy because two or three people, only I only saw two or three, came out. And once more information came out, they came back out and they said, hey, I jumped the gun. 
I said A, and that wasn't the real story. It wasn't the whole story. I just looked at what everyone else was posting, and I got mad, and I said some bad things, but here's the reality, and I, I was wrong. I, I was just thrilled to see people online actually saying I made a mistake, I was wrong. Not everybody did that. Some people just dug in and stuck to their guns. Well, I don't care what the truth is, this sucks anyway. But we're not supposed to make just, hey, here's the first thing that comes out, here's the first uh, thing I see, here's the first circumstance, and, and make false judgments based on that. Now the remaining verses uh, about how we're not supposed to treat one another, um, some of them have to do with judgment, but some of them have to do with a lot of other things. In Galatians, Paul writes to all the churches in, churches in Galatia, and he writes, but if you bite and devour one another in partisan strife, again, amplified version, be careful that you are, your whole fellowship are not consumed by one another. Now, if you look in other versions, it says do not bite and do not devour, and bite means literally to attack, to bite in, to scar, to wound. We're not supposed to be taking pot shots at one another. That's, that's basically what it says, right? Especially from, a, and that's the reason I put it in the Amplified version, because it amplifies that from a partisan strife. Usually, again, when we do it, it's because we disagree. If you would agree with me, I wouldn't have to take pot shots at you. But because we disagree, then I'm going to take, you know, be sarcastic. And, and it's one thing to joke with one another. It's another thing to say things to try to intentionally hurt people. And then he goes on in verse 26, and he says, let us not become vainglorious and self-conceited, competitive and challenging and provoking and irritating to one another, envying and being jealous of one another. Goes back to Ten Commandments, do not covet. I'm not supposed to look at you as my competitor. Listen, there's already, you know, if you're political, you know, there's already enough parties that are competing, right? If you're in a sports arena, there's already enough sports things that are competing. We're in a church are not supposed to be in competition with one another, although denominationalism has kind of built it that way to where we can't all come together as a church and spend time together and worship together because you're not King James only or because the hymns in your book don't match the hymns in my book. But we're all worshiping the same Father. We're not supposed to be competing against one another. And then he says this, Paul writes to the church in Colossae, in the book of Colossians, he writes, never lie to one another. Most versions say, do not lie. This is the uh, complete Jewish Bible version, because in the verbiage, this is the way the Jewish mindset would have accepted it as. It's not don't, under a certain circumstances. It's never, ever. Coming from the word of God, that means never, ever do this. Never lie to one another, because you have stripped away the old self with its ways, and have put on the new self is continually being renewed and fuller and fuller knowledge, closer and closer to the image of its creator. We're being transformed every day the Holy Spirit is working in us, trying to make us more like God. And sometimes we take two steps forward, then we open up Facebook and take two steps back. But we're not supposed to lie to one another because the path that God has us on is going to make us end up looking more and more like Jesus. And if we're continually lying to other people, we're looking less and less like Jesus. Now, uh, James wrote in his book, and James, this is the brother of Jesus Christ, he wrote in um, James chapter 4, verse 11, do not speak evil against one another. And again, I love it when they put in brothers. Now, he, as the brother of Jesus Christ, I think when he was writing, he was probably writing with more conviction than any other author in the Bible because he spoke evil 
of Jesus Christ. He literally said, you know, hey, you're crazy, you're not the Messiah, you know, did the biting, did the devouring about his brother. But he said, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but the judge. And people will say, well, we're not bound by the Old Testament law, but the Old Testament law said, hey, love God, love your neighbor, right? But if you're speaking evil about your neighbor, you can't be loving God and loving your neighbor. And Jesus said, who's your neighbor? It's not just the person who thinks like you or acts like you or agrees with you. And then the example he gave, it was someone who hated you and was opposed to your way of life. That's your neighbor that you're still supposed to love to the point where you go out of your way and help. And people say, well, we're not under the Old Testament law. But the law of Christ says that we're supposed to love one another like Christ did. Well, how did Christ love everyone? He was willing to die for them, including the people that hated him and put him to death. Literally the ones that were banging nails into his hands, died for them and loved them, right? And then James goes on and he says this. In James chapter 5, he says, friends, don't complain about each other. A far greater complaint could be lodged against you, you know. The judge is standing just around the corner. And what he's literally saying is this, that we're not supposed to be complaining about one another because guess what? God has lots of complaints that he could make about us. And I don't know about you, but I know that there's literally daily where if God were to say, okay, Floyd, let me weigh out your good stuff and your bad stuff, list out here's the things you did that were great. He could have a list equally long about here's, here's today where you messed up. So before I go complain about, you know, what Gary's doing or what, my goodness, stick on this side, what Karen's doing or what Greg is doing, God says, hey, you know what, Floyd, what about what you're doing? You, you, you shouldn't be complaining about other people. There's a whole lot of complaints I can make about you. And, and here's the reality. I'm gonna, as, as the band comes up and we get ready to close out in song, the way that we talk about one another I mean, if you just forget everything else and just say the way that we talk about one another, the things that we say to one another, they're supposed to be uplifting. They're supposed to be things that build one another up, right? And when we leave here, it doesn't, it doesn't matter where you go, homeschool, work, whatever. When we leave here outside of these walls, there are already so many people that want to verbally tear people down, either because you're a Christian or because you're, you, know, you go to this church, or because you don't go to their church, or because uh, uh, of, of the way that they think you think you're holier than thou, because there are other people who tear them down with their mouth, or because they've been hurt by the church, or the, because, uh, and I see this literally every day, someone that says, why do Christians act that way? So-and-so just said this to me, or did this to me, or did that to me. And there are so many people that are willing to tear people down with their mouth and say bad things, especially because of the internet. I forgot who I was talking about this with, and, and someone said it's, it's mostly because there's no accountability. You know, I can sit behind a wall of you don't have to see me and just shoot out snipes and sarcastic remarks at everyone I want to, because I'll never see those people. But because there's so much of that, then those of us who are the church, we have to be the ones to build people up because no one else is going to do it. Not because 
you're my family member and I care about you. Because, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll do that until we disagree. But because no one else is going to, even when you're shooting and, and, and getting, you know, torn down by other people, no one else is going to respond with love and grace. And that's what we're supposed to respond with. This last verse before we uh, close out with a song. Paul says, let no foul or polluting language nor evil word nor unwholesome or worthless talk ever come out of your mouth. And he was talking to people who were lived in the city of Ephesus. They were in like the capital city in their area. They were doing well financially. They were doing okay. They were struggling with people who were coming against them and talking about them because of their religious belief because it conflicted with the majority of what people believe. And they were like, hey, they're, they're talking about us. They're trying to kick us out of our workplaces. They're trying to take away our jobs. And he says, let no foul or polluting language. Say nothing bad about those people. Don't let it ever come out of your mouth. The only thing you should be saying is such speech as is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others, as is fitting to the need and occasion that it may be a blessing and give grace. God's unmerited favor to those who hear it. So wait, are you saying that when people, you know, talk bad about you, you're supposed to respond back with God's love and mercy and grace? Yes. When people are cursing you out and talking bad about your family on the internet, you're supposed to respond back with God's mercy and grace and love. Yeah. When you're at work and your coworkers are putting you down so that they can get the higher job, you're supposed to respond back with God's love and mercy and grace. Yeah. Because I'm not dependent upon them for my self-worth or my value. That comes from God, who loves me more than they ever will. And could look at me and complain about me, but instead says, I look at you and I love you with a never-ending love. And he loves me more than I love myself. And if we were to talk about people that way, then you'd see a little bit less and less and less and less of the attacking and the aggressive behavior and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying this just because the Bible said so, because I had a, um, when I was in a work situation, I, and I think I shared this a while back, uh, an employer, someone, a direct supervisor who I worked for, who I just could not stand. I wanted to just slap the taste out of her mouth. I wasn't a pastor. Not that it would have been okay either way, but just couldn't stand her. And God put it on my heart and said, pray for her. And every time you get into one of those situations, try to respond with mercy and grace. And the first thing I did was just shut up, because that was, that was easier to respond in a positive way. But after weeks of praying for her, and just, you know, God, just you need to take control of this situation, Things literally shifted to where instead of hating her, um, and I don't know if she hated me or just li disliked me or whatever, but eventually she's the one who's promotion after promotion, pay raise after pay raise, $10,000, $20,000 because of her. Because of God. Because he took control of the situation rather than me controlling it with my mind because of the commitment to say, I'm going to let God's grace prevail, because if I let my grace prevail, I'll probably end up getting fired.
I'm going to ask you guys to stand. God, we just thank you so much for the grace that you show to us. And your word says that even when we were enemies of you, not just sinners separated from you, but when we were enemies of you, when we hated you, when we wanted nothing to do with you, that you loved us with a never-ending love and gave your life for us. And I love that you're not asking us to do that. All you're asking us to do is to speak about your mercy and grace and your love to others. To be the people that builds others up, to encourages them, who shows the love of Christ to others, not just with our actions, but also with our words. And we pray that that's what we do when we leave here today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Once blind, but now.